um, to help remind you of this integral relationship between elder and member. There is really this, this dance that we do between leader and member that is really important to understand if we're going to draw the, the full benefit out of it. You know, Carol and I years ago took uh, dancing classes and we were going to learn the foxtrot and the tango and the waltz and the shag. It was a two-night class. After the first night, they gave us some instructions. We were supposed to do it in front of our peers. It was a disaster. The, the, it, was, it was an unmitigated disaster. In fact, I remember offering her a shopping trip if we could just not do the next night, which she gladly took me up on. But what I remember from that is, is that, that I had a lead and she had a role to respond, and it was really important that we were to get this dynamic down, which, which we didn't. But, but it was important to do that if we were going to dance and when I think about dancing and looking foolish, that's kind of no big deal. But when I talk about an elder and a member, that's a reciprocal relationship that is essential to get down. In fact, the passage we're going to look at is from the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is really a sermon. It's a sermon about persevering in the faith. And part of the perseverance comes from understanding this relationship. In fact, in chapter 13, three times he speaks about the relationship between the leader, the elder, and the member. And I'd like to just look at one verse for a few seconds here. If you turn with me to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, I just want to look at this. There is so much in here that I would encourage you to think about it as Levy felt such conviction as he was thinking about it. Because listen to the privilege and yet the weight of this passage in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So two things here, that leaders are keeping watch over your soul as men who give an account. That's the first point. Leaders are these men who are keeping watch over your souls who must give an account. They're keeping watch over your souls. Now, the command really is being made to the member, not the leader. But the implication is, clearly, of what the leader is going to be doing. He says there, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now, it assumes the church organized. It assumes membership that there are members, that there are leaders. It assumes that God has established a government that we are to have in this church. So there's many assumptions here that I can't tease out. But the one thing to note is that they're keeping watch over your soul. So think in your mind of a shepherd keeping watch. He's on the hill keeping watch over the sheep. He wants to make sure they're protected. He wants to make sure they're well-fed. He wants to lead them to quiet waters. He doesn't want them by raging rivers. Their wool gets wet. It gets heavy. They sink. They can't swim. The shepherd is keeping watch over the sheep. Now, he's keeping watch over the sheep for their betterment, for their, for their maturity, for their health, for their safety. That's the intention, that the leader is keeping watch over them for the progress of your faith and for the increase of your joy. And they keep watch over it. The word literally means to kind of stay awake. In other words, elders, be alert. Are you teaching them the things of God? Are you encouraging them in the gospel? Are you protecting the flock from false teachings and heresies? Are you providing nourishing teaching 
Are you admonishing? Are you even disciplining? That seems so harsh in our day, and yet it's so essential for the health of the church to walk with discipline, admonishment. We want to be sensitive and and to keep watch over your souls would be to encourage you in a time of difficulty and hardship. At the same time, it may be a word of rebuke over disobedience to God. Why? Because the progress of your faith is in view. And for us to progress in the faith with joy, obedience is part of that. So to keep watch over your souls is to see your faith and joy progress, develop. I think about when Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He's speaking about, in his opinion, it would be better to die so that he could be with the Lord. He was so desirous. I pray this would be for us, actually, that towards the end of our lives, our heart would grow less clingy to the things of this world and more excited about seeing the one who died for us. And here's what Paul wrote about that. He said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. May that be the prayer for us, to have a desire to depart and be with Christ. For that's far better, he says. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now listen to what he says. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Paul sees his relationship working among the body as a cause of glory. Why? Because he's working for their progress of faith. That's what the elder is doing, keeping watch over your souls so that you will have ample cause to glory. Now, we do this, though, as men who must give an account. You see that? You think of the men who must give an account. So my mind, being a former CPA, goes back to accounting and and a reckoning at the end of the year. Or if you were a farmer and you're given the stewardship of a farm and an owner says, hey, run the farm for a year, I'll be back, I'll check the books, I'll check the, the employees, I'll check the produce, what you've done. There's this accounting. So elders are to work and keep watch over your souls for the progress and joy of your faith as men who will stand before God one day and there will be an accounting. Now just let that moment settle into your minds for a minute. Can you imagine the day we will be standing before him and there will be a reckoning. Did we labor? How did we labor? Was it under compulsion? Was it for shameful gain? Was it hard-hearted? Was it cruel? Or was it willingly? Was it gently? Was it sacrificially? Did you do the hard work that you had to do for my people? God's so concerned for you that he's appointed these elders and reminded them, you will give an account to me. I mean, that is heavy if you have any belief in that day of standing before God. It's not a day that terrifies me, but I'll tell you, it sobers me. And it reminds me of the seriousness of this task. And Levy quoted part of 1 Peter 5. Listen to what Peter says to the church dispersed throughout Asia Minor. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory. You always see the sufferings and the glory together. They're always together. That's going to be revealed. He says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. That's how we want to serve you. 
You know, so the church we went to in Boston when we were at seminary, they took out the stained glass windows. It was a congregational church. They wanted the pastor to see the cemetery. And I've told you this before. They take out the stained glass. Pastor, this is where we're going. Pastor, this is where we're all going. Preach like it's real. You know, preach like we're all going to be in the hole. And so don't hold back. Bring it strong. Leaders are to be looking out for the progress and joy of your faith. And what our hope as leaders will be is seen in First Thessalonians, kind of a, a real verse for me as I consider the call that God's put on our lives, is this in First in Thessalonians uh, 2.19, he says, Paul says to the church, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? So Paul's asking this rhetorical question. He's saying, so what is our boast? What are we going to be most excited about when Jesus Christ returns? So answer that question in your mind right now. What would you be most excited about at his return? Here's what Paul says. Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. He points to the church at Thessalonica. He says, you're going to be our point of boasting. You're going to be our joy. The growth that the Spirit has brought in you through the ministry of leadership, that's going to be our point of joy. So that's what drives elders. That's the responsibility. We are men keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, he moves quickly to, of course, the responsibility of members. So that's the lead in the dance. Now, here's the responsibility of the members. You see, again, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, right coming out of the gate, let me say that again because it sounds so odious to us in this culture. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Isn't that, doesn't that sound, it just rankles you in this culture. 50 years ago, I don't think it would have as much. But now, you, I know in your mind you're thinking, obey your leaders, submit to them. Well, they're just like I am. I mean, they're just fallible men. Levy's already said he's got feet of clay. And, and, and to obey, that's just, that just open for abuse. I mean, it's just open for abuse. I mean, don't you know about all the church tragedies? all the priests and all the different abuses that have taken place, and right away, hands go up, and you say, I'm not going to submit to anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm captain of the ship here. I'm not going to obey a guy that I'm probably smarter than anyways. So why would he call us to do that? I mean, think about it. Obey and submit to your leaders. Well, it's not an unconditional call. He's saying obey and submit to those who are keeping watch over your soul. He's saying, obey and submit to those that are laboring for your progress in joy and faith. You know, that, that as these leaders, as these elders, as they, as they reveal God's will to you, as revealed in the scriptures, that you are called to obey and submit to those truths. The dissemination of God's call in your life. It's not leaders asking you to do stuff that we think is right, but we always want to drive an anchor into the scriptures and say, this is what God has declared to us. Come, walk in it. I mean, to obey and submit, we could call it to yield and follow what God reveals to us. That's what you're called to do to the leadership of the church. Now, let me bring it in, the, in a couple ways that might be more understandable, maybe a little more practical. Uh, that you would be, so three descriptive words on what it means to obey and submit would be teachable. That you're teachable. In other words, that you're coming uh, with a heart that wants to be instructed by God. 
that is teachable to the Word of God, that wants to have their lives challenged, corrected, encouraged as well towards the things of God. You know, sometimes I, it's been more than once that someone says, hey, I already know what I believe about that. You can't change my mind. And in my mind, I think, well, I'm glad they're convicted on truth. But, but we never want to be resistant to being challenged or being instructed from God's word, uh, particularly how our lives are lived in relation to it. There's a teachability, you know, like James talks about humbly receiving the word implanted. Some of us may have a certain eschatology, and this is the way it is. Or we have a certain understanding of how God saves, this is the way it is. Well, what does the scripture have to say? We want to be teachable and open. We also want to be available. Available would be another way. I mean that in time. So let me explain for this dance that we have. To be available in time means that you're coming regularly. That, that, that if you're coming here once a month or if you don't participate in the life of the church, it's hard to have that dance, that relationship with a, a leader and a member. It's difficult to know if you're not participating, we don't know you, you don't know us. It just makes that dance kind of more formal, uncomfortable, and it's not as smooth as it ought to be as it develops in life. But not just available in time, I, I would say available in presence. In other words, you desire it. People of God, do you desire to be led? Or is your spiritual life kind of off to the side? Nobody goes. Or your marriage or your life? No, that's none of your business. What happens is we usually get a call when there's a five alarm blaze going because nobody ever said something when it was a small fire. But by the time it gets out of control, it's really hard to then bring truth and change to those situations. Are you available? Do you consider your spiritual lives, do you consider your life before God as kind of taboo for anybody else? That, 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 well, I'm not, I've had people have not wanted any leadership to weigh in on those parts of life. And why is that? Is there an availability to you? Now, I think about Paul. So he planted the Corinthian church, and um, the Corinthian church, his second letter in particular, he is fighting against these super apostles, these new lights, if you will, kind of came in and gave some new teaching, and they were closing their hearts to Paul. And so Paul, in his second letter, uh, in chapter 6, he says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. They were pulling back from Paul. He says, in return, I speak as to children. That's a chide. He says, in return, widen your hearts or open your hearts to us. So there has to be that availability that you're going to say, no, my life, I want to open my life to the leaders that the Lord has given to me, that he might use them by his spirit. There's an availability. And then thirdly, there would be a gratefulness. Uh, uh, There would be a a gratitude and a thankfulness. Now, you know that we're not perfect. We've already said that. And so we're going to fail you and you're going to fail us. So in every premarital counseling, the first meeting I have, I tell the the husband-to-be, hey, listen, she's going to fail you. Do you get that? He doesn't get that. And I say to her, he's going to fail you in leadership. Do you get that? And she doesn't get that, right? But I say, just because you're going to fail each other doesn't mean you can't have a great marriage. It's just we want to recognize that. God has so chosen to use leaders in the life of members to persevere them and to progress them in the faith. And I would call you to to be grateful, 
to honor those who labor diligently for you. You know, we just spent, oh, I don't know, a long Friday and a, a good chunk of Saturday just looking at the next few years of this church as an elder retreat, just thinking about what is best for you. What will, what will be most effective in teaching or direction or staff or, or whatever? And Ray's going to give us a, a kind of a, a highlight of what we spoke about. But the intentionality was your betterment and the progress of your faith. Um, when you do these things, when you, so the elders, remember the leaders, they are men who are seeking the progress of your faith as men who give an account. You are to be walking humbly seeking their leadership. When you do this, you're going to produce one of two things. You see in the last part of the verse, he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. In other words, what makes a leader happy? What makes a leader to rejoice? Your openness to God's word, your availability to the, to the saints and to the direction and leadership of the church, your desire to want more of God and to prepare to see him. That makes leaders who rejoice. What makes leaders groan? It's a good question to ask. I'm not saying grumble. Grumble's different. Grumbles complaining. I don't want to be a leader. We don't want to be leaders that grumble. We are leaders who groan. Groan over a failure to love God's word, a failure to submit yourself to the teachings that are trying to draw you in that progress of faith. Uh, what makes us groan is, is a failure to open your lives. It makes us groan not because we're frustrated as if we're getting our personal desires unmet, we want you to be ready to see Christ. And we know that these things of adjusting our lives to God's word, that's part of it. And so it causes us to, to groan when people are resistant or not wanting to hear God's word or not wanting to, to speak to us about the things of God or to speak to one another. So, you know, you end up at the end of life, are the leaders rejoicing or are they groaning? A lot of that's driven by you and your humility and your desire and your teachability and availability. Because there's going to be a day, and, and I, there's going to be a day where we all stand before him. And, and we see this day pictured in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And Jonathan Edwards, by the way, when he was removed from his church over an issue of the Lord's Supper, his last sermon that he preached to them, he preached out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 12 to 14. And, and, this, and this is what he referenced at the end of that verse. He said this, he says, um, for we are not writing to you, this is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and then he applied it, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. There's a mutual boasting that dance comes to its perfect completion. On that day, will you boast of the leadership of this church? Will we boast in you? That's the goal. And to reach that goal, we need to be keeping watch over your souls as men who give an account. You need to respond in humility, seeking, desiring, praying for, encouraging, loving, and even speaking to us a word of correction. That may be necessary in love, seeking the progress of our faith. So that's kind of the, the dream that we have here that God lays out for us. So let's take a minute now, and, and perhaps this would be a point of reflection for you, maybe confection, 
and maybe seeking God's grace, but let's just in silence come before the Lord over these words that Levy has given and, and that I have followed with, and, um, and then Ray's going to close us in prayer.